0: Salaam and welcome back, everybody, to our podcast, Unapologetic, The Third Narrative.
1: Our authentic and original initiative in light of the war in Israel and Gaza.
0: A platform where we will share our identities, experience, and views from the ground. So in our pilot, we promised to take people back where it all started. And in order to do so, We need to take everyone back into our stories, to our identities. Where we started. Exactly. We're going to talk about how two people from the same peoplehood uh, that have completely different realities, lived completely different two life experiences, but ended up crossing paths because we both have more or less the same vision. We're both Arab, we're both Palestinian, and we're both Israeli citizens all these words these terminologies when we were kids they're all blurred merged together because of innocence because we we, we don't know we're kids
1: yeah and don't forget you know i think uh, people need to uh, realize that uh, we're talking about us as kids in the 90s mm-hmm. you know uh, if you look at kids today and social media that's present today kids know a lot more than we did yeah we didn't have the influence of social media our uh, parents had the ability to shield us from a lot of these complexities, and to give us the innocence of a child, which is not the case today as much. But for us, back then, absolutely. We needed to go through a journey to discover our identities. So, as we said, we're Arabs, Palestinians, and Israeli citizens. So, let's break that down, actually. Let's let's take one component at a time. Let's start with the, the, the basic one, which is Arab. Because, you know, Arab is someone who was born to uh, parents speaking Arabic. He speaks Arabic, and it becomes, um a history of the Middle East. Even if you're born in the States, your, your main history is from the Middle East. So that's what makes a person Arab. Um, so for you, Amira, when was the first time you felt Arab?
0: So for me, it's, it's a little bit more unique. It's very much like centered around my upbringing, which started back in California, in San Francisco, um, where actually as a very young child, because like we said, there's a lot of naivety, there's a lot of innocence. Um, I thought I was white. I thought I was a white American California girl it wasn't the word Arab, it was more my religion, which I tied to the word Arab because everything that we learned, like my mom and my parents would talk to me in in Arabic and I would reply in English. That's how much I was like connected to uh, to the States because it was everything that I started to know as home. Um, but it's, it's what I saw that differentiated me from my schoolmates. Um, so the Arabic language, which was translated or linked to religion, because that's when I would use Arabic, uh, is when I, felt, um, when I felt that word kind of forming. Mm-hmm. Even when uh, during show and tell, and uh, as a kid in the States, I would, everyone would bring their pets, would bring their teddy bears, and I would bring a verse from the Quran to read. Um, because I thought, I felt like it was, it would made me unique, it made me different from everyone else. And then when I came here, when we came back from the states to um to to palestine uh to jerusalem it was uh i remember asking my mom uh i was confused i was like mama why is everyone named muhammad here cuz oh, all <laughs> my cousins like i was like like i felt i felt weird uh that's when my americanness came out and i was like everything is arabic here everyone's arab here and that's when i was like is that like, that's the completion of the word? That's Arab? Uh, so that's when it started to be introduced.
1: And you connected to a community after when you actually meet an, an Arab community, right? Because there say connected. Was Arab and the Muslim was yes, together.
0: I would say was introduced, introduced to. I wouldn't say connected. I think every single word that we're going to talk about, I think it's a journey. There's no one specific moment where, oh, it's Palestinian oh, it's Arab. No, I feel like it's more of a journey. It's more of a takeoff towards understanding that, at least for myself, is continuing up until this day. But I'm sure you had a completely different uh, experience, a completely different reality.
1: I mean, you know, now trying to figure out when was the first time I realized, you know, like we say, I'm Arab. I mean, it's our language. So like, for me, growing up, it's automatic that you're Arab because you speak Arabic. Like, you know that you're speaking Arabic. You, you watch the kids' channel, um, you know, for for the Arab uh, listeners, Space Tune and our teens in Arabic, <laughs> and you realize, you know, that this is what we what we speak. I remember, you know, um, going to my mom uh, as a very young kid, and she actually told me that story recently, that me and my sister would talk to each other in fusha <laughs> um, because we want to copy the cartoon because in my mind, that's how we're supposed to speak in yeah, Arabic. Yeah, yeah. And that's like the first, like, when you realize your Arabness in a way. But I think when you realize that you're a community um, was when I realized what is Jewish. I think they kind of came together to realize Mm -hmm. that not just that you're Arab, but there are people who are different than you. Mm -hmm. That's when I was introduced to more to Jewish people. And for me, it actually came very early on because my... um, My cousins grew up in a Jewish town, Um, they were actually the first to ever uh, live in in that specific Jewish town, and in the 90s, it wasn't prevalent at all uh, to live uh, in predominantly Jewish community, and my cousins did, and it turns out that their language, their first language became Arabic, Uh, excuse me, their first language actually was Hebrew, and the second one was Arabic, Mm -hmm. and You know, growing up, your cousins are your best friends. And I would go there and sleep, you know, sleepovers and all these things. But all their friends are Jewish. They're watching a cartoon in Hebrew. And for me, Jewish was just someone who was just the same as me, who spoke a completely different language. And in order for me to get to know my cousins a little more, I had to learn Hebrew and to play with them and to play with their
0: friends wow i had the completely different because i came here from the states knowing english i had the same experience but with arabic i was like in order for me to 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 like interact with them to interact with my own cousins i need to understand this arabness this arabic
1: because it's not just uh, reg- like, not just the language. There's a lot of uh, slogans, yeah. terminologies, yeah, 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 things yeah, yeah. that they, your cousins would use. That you know, uh, being in the U.S., I'm sure you weren't exposed to all these
0: things. Same thing goes for the Jewish slang, for the Hebrew slang.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like I mean, you know, um, growing up, I started watching the Kids Channel, and it's y- y- you learn the slang immediately. So mm-hmm. you, you, my exposure was first to the culture, not to uh, you know what Israel is as a state, as a government, not to any of these things. How old were you? I think when I started like actually speaking the language was even uh, before going to school. I, probably when I was five, six, ah, I started already in. watching the kids' channel. And by the time I was in uh, second grade or, or third grade, I would start correcting my teacher in Hebrew lessons. <laughs> uh, and she would get offended. And uh, like she would tell me, no, no, you're wrong. And even, I was sure I was right. Because I a- already spoke the language. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the second moment, then you realize your Arabness... Not just as a different group, but as a political issue was in the second Intifada oh. It was the first time that you realized you're not just Arab and that's your language. You realize that there's a whole political problem with you being Arab in a way uh, or, or that's how I felt as a kid because everything is because we that's who we are and um I remember the Intifada and I grew up in Nazareth, and we had you know the Intifada arrived at our doorsteps in my neighborhood. We had clashes with the police between civilians and the Israeli police. Uh, three people got killed on my street. Wow. And I remember like uh, as a, it was in the 2000s, I was eight. And I remember telling my dad, uh, we were on the balcony and you're hearing the scream. And I asked him, why are you not going there? Like, I think this, like, you know, the perception is people are protecting us from 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 a foreign invader. And, and that started to formulate as, as the other. Mm-hmm and i'm like okay why aren't you fighting why aren't you protecting our home like that's what i actually told my dad as, as a little kid and then i realized that there's a political thing here it's not just uh um your community and i remember asking my mom why are we born arab
2: yeah
1: and not just arab why are we born arabs here where arabness is not the predominant thing mm-hmm. and i remember asking my quest- that question to my mom about being arab not palestinian at that time, and from the Second Intifada onwards, I think that's where the uh, word Palestinian, at least for me, started to formulate, uh, and starting to understand more and more about our stor- story, our history, um, the, uh, the Second Lebanon War, uh, and you realize, you know, that there is a conflict because of the issue of Palestine. This is how you uh, see it in your eyes as a kid, but the, actually, the first time I actually encountered it as a real question was when I got a scholarship to go to the US in high school mm-hmm. I was an exchange student and going you know we were going to go live with an american family live in an american home and the idea was to break stereotypes it was it was funded by the US department of state and the idea was to break stereotypes about arabs and muslims uh from the middle east uh, two Americans, and it happened because of 9-11. It was, it was a response to 9-11. Mm-hmm. And they asked us to bring a flag. Oh. And I had no idea what to do. I was a little kid. I was 16. And as, at that time, I had no exposure or, or a very minimal one to the Palestinian aspect of the culture deeply, to feel the connection to the flag as a kid. Because the flag wasn't that prevalent, at least not how I felt it in my period where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And when I was there, um, and then I decided to use the keffiyeh as my flag. Mm-hmm. Because I, I couldn't connect with the Israeli flag because it has Jewish symbols. I'm not Jewish. I can't affiliate. And at the same time, I, I didn't know how the Palestinian one exactly uh, represents me as a kid. So I chose the keffiyeh because it's the symbol of my culture at the end of the day. Back by then, I started to understand more and more about the, the Palestinians as a culture and and I wanted to uh, represent that as my, uh, my flag in a way. But that was really the first time and, you know, that's when you meet um, people from, because I also met people, Palestinians from the West Bank and Gaza Strip for the first time. It was actually in Washington, D.C., <laughs> taking all these kids, um, you know, from all the Middle East and we had a session in D.C. for a week and you, I met Uh, people from the West Bank and from Gaza. And then you realize that your experience and reality is also completely different to theirs. Because, you know, for those uh, from our um, listeners who don't exactly know who our community is, we are um, Arab citizens of Israel, or Arab 48. It's two different terms that are used to describe our community. Or in uh, Israeli rhetoric, Israeli Arabs. We are basically uh, 20% of the population inside Israel. We're Israeli citizens, we have the passport, we have the, uh, the nationality. Um, so we're, we're f- ev- every fifth person in this country is Arab mm-hmm. with Palestinian roots, which is something that sometimes people don't, don't even realize. And so we as a community are in the same time citizens, because if we look at the 1948, um, our grandparents, who uh, were in the, their communities in Nazareth and other areas of uh, northern Israel today. Uh, they were Palestinians who were part of the Palestinian people who was seeking uh, um, independence. And when the war started, uh, some people were killed, some people uh, fled, and some people stayed. And the people who stayed in that territory that became part of what was became Israel are our people, and they remain in that place. Uh, they were under martial law for about 10 years, and then they were given citizenships, and we're dis- the descendants of that, about 2 million citizens today. This is who we are. This is 48. Mm-hmm. And the other group is your group, uh, because we have uh, West Bank and Gaza, who are both uh, under the Palestinian Authority today, or uh, uh, today for the reality of Gaza is under Hamas, but it's under Palestinian rule. Jerusalem's completely different.
0: Completely different story.
1: And we're 48 and you're 67. So my question to you is, when did you feel Palestinian for the first time? Or mixing with 67 to realize that you're not just a Palestinian, you're a Palestinian from Jerusalem, 67. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When did you realize that is your identity in that sense? So
0: before before, I talk about my experience specifically i think we should differentiate what 67 means um so before before the year 1967 there was jerusalem what east jerusalem was under jordanian rule under jordanian control and then there was the 67 war um and meantime israel had israel had control over west jerusalem um and during the 67 war israel annexed east jerusalem and therefore expanding the borders of jerusalem um and then remain the question what's going to happen with the palestinians that live in east jerusalem are they going to have israeli citizenship like the situation that happened with uh, arab 48 or palestinians of 48 um or are they going to like stay with like move like that was the situation it was confusing and the of what's going to happen to the people of this land that live there and the question remains until this day the citizens the residents were given Israeli residency temporary Israeli residency in the hopes of one day uh, reaching a solution of knowing what's going to happen but this rhetoric put the people of Jerusalem into a status uh, into a status of limbo um and now I'll switch to, to, to my story of when I felt Palestinian. So in the beginning of when we came back, when my family came back from the states to um, to, I don't even know what to call it anymore, if I should say Israel or or Palestine. But in our in our mind, we came back to Palestine. Um, we had, we stayed in Ramallah, um, in a family house that we owned in Ramallah. And there um, we would go back and forth because like half of our family is in Ramallah in the West Bank and the other half is in Jerusalem. So we would keep on going back and forth. And for those who don't know, back and forth means going back and forth through a checkpoint, um, which is... Humiliating, absolutely humiliating. And if we're removing the humiliation aspect, it takes so much time from your day, back and forth, waiting in line, whether that's in via a car or uh, waiting in line uh, physically. Um, and and until we moved into into East Jerusalem, and we went we went back there, we got our things in order, and we went back into East Jerusalem. And I remember visiting my grandma in Ramallah. And one day, uh, we went and they, like, I wanted, I remember my dad wanted to shower or someone wanted to shower. And my grandma said, oh, there's no water today. We finished the water that we have. And so you're going to have to wait, um, or, or I can heat up some water for you. And then I've had so many questions for my parents. I had so many questions for my mom. I was like, what do you mean they don't have water? Why don't they have water? Why are we different? And then, of course, came like, oh, thank God I live in Jerusalem. Like, why, why is there a difference? And... Then came the, the, the dilemma of, am I, am I like Palestinian? I don't live under the same situations as people in the West Bank, which, which is mainly the Palestinian territory. It's what we see as Palestine, or what is framed as only Palestine. It's like, am I Palestinian? I don't suffer the Palestinian suf- suffering, even though I do have my own specific type of suffering, which is the suffering that a Jerusalemite goes.
1: So basically you're saying uh, you, know, you had a, a mix of Arab and Muslim and mm-hmm. then Arab and Palestinian in a way uh-huh. and Jerusalemite but uh, you also realize that there are different identities that yeah. exist outside of that.
0: Exactly. It was all a mix together. It was the Muslim, it was the Arab, it was the Palestinian, but am I, I there was a question like even when people would ask me like I would say till this day Jerusalem Jerusalem because it's so unique. It's so specific to to what a palestinian from jerusalem goes through um that it needs it needs that sort of recognition in my opinion um and then i had a i had an aunt that was uh, that married into uh, a family that lived up north and it was so now that i look at it it's so interesting how the diff- how we saw and lo- looked at each other like I would ask my mom and uh, she would tell me oh they're from up north <laughs> the people of up north and to my to my young head my my country or my where I belong to are the borders of East Jerusalem and as I grew up that broadened and broadened and broadened um, and it was like I was so intrigued by wait, but how how are they different? And then I started to learn little by little. there was no picture, there was no uh, there was nothing to differentiate but I I felt like there was a difference the same way I saw a difference between my Palestinian my, my sense of Palest being Palestinian and the ones of my of my grandparents that lived in the West Bank. and then I went to university. Um, we're going to talk about education in a second, and we're going to talk about Jerusalem specifically later on. Um, but because of the format and the system of education, it's extremely difficult and a complete different hassle to get into Israeli university when you're from East Jerusalem. Why is Because that? of the language, because of the um, difference. And it's something very far away. Like we We don't know because it's the other, you're going, like it's, it's a place where, where you're not familiar and there's mainly it's the lack of the language, lack of teaching Hebrew.
1: Do they not teach it as mandatory in East Jerusalem?
0: Some, some schools do. Um, but it's not a thing, it's not mm-hmm. a thing. Like you go into restaurants in East <clears throat> Jerusalem and it's Arabic. Signs, uh, of course, m- municipal signs are in all three languages, Hebrew, English, and, and Arabic, but signs of um, of places, of restaurants, of supermarkets are all at, in English and, and, uh, and Arabic. Arabic. Um, and people don't, like, it's not something we hear every day unless it's police, unless it's soldiers. Um, so we don't we don't have that or unless we go to West Jerusalem um, to, to for either shopping or for medical reasons, for the bank, like for those kinds of uh, of things. And it's a big it's a big gap. It's something that cripples really uh, Jerusalemites in general to not just to integrate, but to advance to advance in life um, so I didn't end up going to to, uh, to an Israeli university. So my only option was to go to the West Bank to study in a Palestinian university. So I studied in uh, in Al Quds University. Um, and I remember uh, from the interaction of of people, of how they act, it was completely different from the the Jerusalemites that I'm used to. Um, and not just the dialect, but the culture of the people, how their lingo, how they their body language, everything's completely different. And then their perception of me is also completely is that different. that you're different? That I'm different, it was like, ah, Ahl al Ah, Jerusalemites or oh the people of the inside you guys have it easy you're paid to live you live for free and I was like what's going on <laughs> that's not the situation so much misinformation um, and I heard these things it's not something that like was talked about I heard these things with my own ear like people were talking about it um, and then happened uh, like uh, I would witness uh, or live through Israeli raids Of the university and run to cover from stunt grenades or from tear gas and then i realized i was like okay like one i feel more palestinian you're starting to share their experiences (laughs) that they're
1: telling you about
0: but two at the end of the day i go back home to jerusalem yes um and that's also my own like it has its own scrutiny um, from going back and forth every single day to, to university, which is supposed to take 15 minutes by car, and it takes so much more time because of checkpoints. Um, so that's how everything like started started to form for my Palestinian identity that still was merged with Arab, that still was merged with Muslim.
1: For me, and, and we, you touched upon it a little bit, for me, one of the, at least how I was able to connect with people and to connect with uh, Jewish people early on was was the language the language is key and language gives you exposure to culture not just the ability to speak you know for me the fact that i grew up uh, watching the kids channel here hebrew i would say ladim for me that was not just to learn the language it was you know they would have the regular cartoons that we all watched but then they would have other things that are more culturally in tune.
0: I've never even heard of these channels.
1: It's it's something that you know. It's none of my friends um, uh, in Nazareth watched the kids' channels in Hebrew, except except for me. I yeah. I, I, I felt outsider in that sense. When yeah. I would talk about you know these cartoons, I would only talk about them with my cousins, and their Jewish friends. But not with my friends. With my friends, I would talk about something on Space, Tuna, or Teens—the Arab ones. <laughs> like I would, differ, I was a big nerd on TV, so I watched all three together. <laughs> I was able to catch up to all three. So, but it gave me also an insight to the Jewish culture because mm-hmm. on every holiday they would talk about the, the holiday, where it comes from, the cultural aspects. So I absorbed that, and it gave me ability to uh, connect to people and to not look at them in a political eye because from a very young age I didn't mm-hmm. and I looked at them as as a people with a different culture that I'm fascinated by but so my question is since you mentioned that uh, you know language is a big barrier how wh- when did the israeli part of your identity come into play and was the language uh, a key element in that and and what happened in order for you to to gain also one element that is also affecting on, you know, your part of the Israeli identity of yourself?
0: I think I'm still getting introduced to the Israeli part of my identity. It's still being explored. I'm still exploring both, all aspects of my identity. Like, I'm still... I'm still, I'm still like picking and choosing because I think identity is something extremely complex and it takes a lifetime to, to actually explore and see what you like. And if you want to like add your own, add your own element to it. Uh, but it, when it comes to the Israeli part of my identity, I think it took me, Um I'll tell you what happened with me exactly. Because I came as an outsider speak with my English language like you said English like language is a very important like tool Um, I came with my English so when I would go from East Jerusalem which was my little my little village (laughs) um, to West Jerusalem I would meet people hear them speaking English and I would be like this this sounds like home this sounds like the states I'm gonna go like I'm gonna approach. approach. So I would go as a teenager and approach, and we would talk in English, and I, it was an American accent, and it was like these people, and like, and it was completely like normal to me, and it was fine. And I was like, oh, these Americans. And then I would go home and I would see like the uh I would see like o- occupational forces. So then I would come to learn that like how there's Jewish and there's Israeli and there's occupier. Because other than the checkpoints, that when it comes to a child, when it comes day-to-day things, you see it as normal. You stop saying that there's, oh, there's something significant, this is a change. Because it was influenced at a very young age, so it was normal to me as, okay, this is a shitty situation that we are in because we're Palestinian. Um, But I didn't see anything outside of it. I wasn't like, oh, this needs to change. I was still young, I was like, it is what it is. Um, But then I remember one day Uh, We moved to a new house um, and a month later, I remember walking home from school and coming home to a bunch of soldiers clapping and hauling to the demolition, the partial demolition of our house. Wow. And I I was looking there, I was like, what is happening? And this is the first time that I, as a kid, was like, I'm gonna have my own room. I'm gonna like, things are going to change. And for us till this day, we uh, have leaks in our house. Because, because of the demolition? Of the de- because of the demolition. Wow. Um, there was no prior warning. There was no, like, nothing. We bought the house from here. And then uh, a month or two later, uh, the, the, like, the partial demolition happened. Uh, and mind you, no one was home. They just came. They, they demolished. Came and they just demolished yes, them? Wow. no one was
1: home. You just arrived and seeing just soldiers outside your yes. house? And it, what, your roof is ha- gone?
0: Mm-hmm. And that's when I started like seeing, okay, okay there's something called Ihtilal, there's something called occupation. Um, and it's not just checkpoints. Um, and it's called Israel, Israel. And that's something that we don't say that word, we don't say that word in East Jerusalem. It's like taboo.
1: It's Al Ihtilal.
0: It's Al Ihtilal Al Israeli, the Israeli occupation. Uh, there's no recognition of the state of Israel at all, whatsoever. Um, and. To a point where if I wanted to say again where I was from to avoid the entire shenanigan, I would just say I'm from Jerusalem. um, Which strengthened my Jerusalem identity even more and more. Um, But then as I grew older, and we're going to talk about peace work further on, um, I started working and I started meeting people from up north. I started meeting more, uh, more Israelis and I was like... Okay, I'm very confused. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm extremely confused. Are you still confused?
0: I'm still confused. I'm still confused. When it comes to when it comes to Israel and the so-called democracy, um, there are many good faces. There are many good pictures of of Israel, of situations where Arabs are like uh, are given um, equal opportunities and like thrive, uh, there are very there are many good stories.
1: Yeah, I must say we're you know at least in in forty eight we're twenty percent of the population. But if you look at the uh, doctors and nurses, we're fifty percent. We're thirty in doctors and nurses, and in uh, in uh, pharmacists, we're fifty percent. Ah, the pharmacists. The right. pharmacists are fifty percent, and lawyers uh, as well. In
0: healthcare generally, I think it's fifty. percent Generally
1: in healthy healthcare, it's in the thirties. Really, thirties percent of health between thirty to forty percent, which okay. is a lot. For twenty percent. So we can succeed.
0: Mm-hmm. But you're judged by your worst image, which is something that a friend of mine told me, an Israeli friend of mine told me. And the worst image of Israel is Jerusalem, where you have people that are not citizens, but kept in a, some sort of limbo of suffering every single their, their life cycle is just this like cycle of like there are no actual like borders that keep Jerusalem East Jerusalem in
1: like divided from the
0: West there's no yeah there's no actual not like the not like the West Bank there's no actual like border um but there is this like invisible um um invisible like separation crossing. yeah separation crossing that you feel that you feel because when you walk from um, when you walk from Damascus gate from el-Amud up to Mamilla Mall, You go, as a Palestinian, as a Jerusalemite, you go from a majority to a minority in a five minute walk.
1: Interesting.
0: So you go from people, from your people, from your culture, from hearing the Avan in your ear, to people that don't speak your language. And if you're from East Jerusalem and you don't speak Hebrew, you're like, you're in Chinatown all of a sudden. And it's five minutes. So there is this barrier that separates it that Israel has maintained. And kept the status, the status quo. Now, granted, Jerusalemites can apply for Israeli citizenship. Uh, I, for one, have Israeli citizenship. Um, but I have, a, I have a specific, like, I have a unique situation. I was born with it. Um, but you can apply for it. But majority of East Jerusalemites, because of the status quo, because of the political situation, because of the Second Intifada, and because of '67, uh, don't qualify.
1: They prefer to maintain their Jerusalemite
0: and some also those who want. Actually, I read a statistic before the war that the number, uh, the percentage of people in East Jerusalem that apply for for citizenship and want citizenship, has increased. I don't know what has happened after the war, Um, but. Regardless of the fact, if they all wanted it, it is, f- it is of disadvantage of Israel to give them citizenship. And it makes, them ex- it, makes it extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. Wait,
1: it's disadvantage to who?
0: To, the, to, the,
1: to Israel. Why? Why? Why y- you having a, 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 um, nationalities is a disadvantage.
0: If you are in the government of the only Jewish state that has 20% Arab in it, this removing East Jerusalem, without counting East Jerusalem, would you want to increase that percentage of Arab that can vote for prime minister?
1: By all means. If you were Israeli, Uh. (laughs) if you were
0: were a right-wing Israeli in the government.
1: I mean, first of all, how many, what's the population of East Jerusalem?
0: The population today, there is about roughly 580, 1000 inhabitants of East Jerusalem 61% of those are Arab Palestinian and the rest thir- the 39 rest percent is Jewish
1: I mean it's a lot uh, it's a huge statistic but if we look at Jerusalem it's also very complicated to uh, establish what's Jerusalem I think that's Jerusalem needs its own episode I swear like uh, <laughs> cuz Jerusalem expanded the refugee camps who were not part of the city before then became part of the city And uh, increase the population of the city, which wasn't even uh, included in the city in the first place. So there's so many elements to that. But, you know, I mean, first of all, when we talk about uh, discrimination and and all these things, this is at its worst. Because it's not you're discriminated because who you are and you're different and all these things. You're discriminated by law. Mm -hmm. Because I can vote in uh, government elections and you can't, Mm -hmm. right? But you can vote in municipal, yes, not in government.
0: Not in government.
1: So your ability to influence is much less.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and that's a problem and the, the state needs to figure out its own answers I don't care if they have a problem with the, you know, our uh, uh, voting increases hell I mean we don't have it that high of a voting rate anyways yep. and the people of East Jerusalem don't even vote for municipal elections in that high numbers. so mm-hmm. if uh, someone on the extreme right will use that as an excuse as such an invalid excuse for their fear of their own uh, political power mm-hmm. and it's not my problem Mm-hmm. That they're going to be worried about the numbers. It's yep. we're here, we exist, you know, and and
0: it main it also maintains the the population like people. It's not just not voting. These are people that don't have citizenship. Like they don't have a travel document. Some of them either have a Palestinian one or they have a temporary Jordanian one. Travel document, not citizenship. So they don't have Jordanian rights. They only have the Jordanian document that you, they can travel with. Others need to. um need to apply for something called a laissez-passer, which is like this travel permit, a temporary visa of sorts. I came across this privilege of mine when I w- when I took part in a student exchange in, uh, with my school. We were going to Germany, so we all needed to travel. And um, everyone was asked um to fill to fill papers which by the way it's a big topic filling papers when you're palestinian and you don't know what to to fill in um but we filled in the papers and then there was this like trip to the ministry of interior and i was like why why are we going to the ministry of interior oh no that wasn't my question i was like why can't why why am i not going to the ministry of interior because me and another girl were sat in class taking these extracurriculars while everyone else in, in, a, in a class. Was on a field trip? What? Quote. Quote, quote, quote field trip. Field trip <laughs> to, to the Ministry of Interior. Of Interior to apply for, uh, for laissez passes for like travel documents in order to leave the country. <laughs> so that's when I felt the difference of my Pal- my Palestinian identity inside Jerusalem itself. I it was like, okay, not only am I different from, from Arabs up north, from Palestinians up north, not only not only am I different from uh, Palestinians in the West Bank. There's also here where I have there's a difference. I have Israeli citizenship, um, which most
1: of your friends, your classmates don't.
0: Most of my classmates don't. To to clarify, the only reason why I have Israeli citizenship, which is which is because my mom has it. My dad only recently got it after applying for it for years. Um,
1: so, even when you apply, it's not like they give it to you with a click. No. As an East Jerusalemite. You no. Because no, no. It, it makes it sound that, oh, yeah, Israel offers you to apply. So, if I apply, I just get it in two seconds. But no, it, it no, no. It's
0: not like that in reality. They scrutinized us. They literally tortured us, like bring back and forth papers, giving us false hope. Um, and mind you, we can't travel as a family. Because of the situation of my dad, because he's during the, he's through this long process of applying for Israeli citizenship, mm-hmm. they would um, they would tell us that your house is too small for after demolishing half of it, your house is too small for six people to live in. We don't believe your the the information that you give us. There's something wrong. There's ske- something sketchy. There's no way you use that much electricity. Like the, these are the accusation that we would be given. So they ended up sending someone abruptly, um, without prior notice, to our house to make sure everyone was there, um, and measuring our house. Wow. To make sure that the stats that we're providing is correct. And after a long process and a lot of money paid, uh, my father eventually got it, the Israeli citizenship.
1: So, you know, uh, then I don't blame you for being confused. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it this way, you know, with all these uh, complexities and uh, Jerusalemite, uh, with your specific uh, case as well, you know, it's it's really difficult and... Uh, It's not easy. It's a journey that all of us have to go through, I feel, um, to decipher our identity. Uh, I can tell you that I was also very confused for a very long time. Um, You know, I grew up, we're Arabs in Israel as a kid. And then um, I think when I really like um, started to really watch a lot of stuff in Hebrew, I used to consume a lot in Hebrew later on in life. uh, I think a Part of that started to influence as well my my perception of myself. Uh, maybe pushing me mean? a bit more Israeli because uh-huh. everything I consumed from middle school to high school was like so much in Hebrew. Um, even when I would watch a movie, I would I would have the subtitles in Hebrew, not in Arabic. Oh wow! I would read it faster actually, and actually that 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 definitely influenced you know my perception. And I feel the the Israeli and the Palestinian. Uh, parts of, of me kind of like went through uh, phases of different, uh, you know, one time this is higher, and the other one, the, and another period, highs another and one is literally highs and lows for each. And I remember like one of the key ones was definitely when I, what I said, you know, in uh, high school when I went to the US. It, uh, it strengthened my Palestinian identity, and then I would go. Uh, and then when I went to university, it also um, you know, I had another exposure to more of the um, other Palestinian identities that exist out there, mm-hmm. not only West Bank and Gaza Strip, but because uh, I started my university in the American University in Cairo in Egypt um, in 2011 and mm-hmm. 12 during the Arab Spring. Maybe one one day we'll talk about more of the the experience of uh, going through a revolution in a country where you're supposed to go study. But uh, I remember then that my roommate was uh, a Palestinian refugee in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And when we sat down and we started to compare the stories and compare our realities in life, I couldn't believe the difference that we have. I mean, you know, first of all, just the fact that we have such a different realities was, was one thing. And the other was... I couldn't understand how we live here in Israel with a country that, your perception, you know, if you have a very hardcore Palestinian perception, you're you're in an enemy state in a way, or, or someone who is your uh, doesn't want your best interest at the end of the day. But I couldn't understand how I in Israel had more rights. It's not even comparable because the Palestinian refugees in Lebanon have no rights. And I couldn't fathom that how I have rights in Israel, while everybody's saying is the enemy and all these things, and a Palestinian is in another Arab country and he doesn't get any rights. For me, that was I, I couldn't grasp that that realization. And and then I went to the um, to the U.S. and I continued my studies there because at the end of the day, you know, we look at who we are. At the end of the day, for Egyptian eyes. At the end of the day, I was Israeli. Mm-hmm. I was asked to leave Egypt yeah. because I was there in a revolution and no one wanted to give me a visa. Uh, you were to continue Israeli my in- student. I'm an Israeli student at the end of the day. And I remember because I stayed extra time after my visa was, because uh, um, I entered with a tourist visa and I was supposed to get a student visa from the university itself. And I remember that uh, I stayed after the visa expired and I got an official uh, letter from the Egyptian government and it was, it was literally literally written like this. Uh, to the university, you have an Israeli student called Ibrahim Abu Ahmad. The Israeli student, Ibrahim Abu Ahmad, has extended his stay. The Israeli student needs to leave the university and the country. And he, they, they wrote the Israeli student like five, six times. Wow. To emphasize that. And I was judged as an Israeli there, not as an Arab. And I wrote a petition about, you know, I'm Arab, I'm Muslim, and this. No one cared at the end. And I had to leave. And I think when I was in Egypt, it was part of the realization that, you know, there is an Israeli element to my identity that is, 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 is relatively strong in a way. Because when I arrived to Egypt, my Egyptian friends had no idea what is Arab 48. Mm-hmm. They had no idea that we exist. They were sure that, you know, Israel is Jewish, Palestine is Arab. It's as black and white as that. And when I showed them my passport, people wanted to take pictures. They were mind-blown that there's an Arabic name written on an Israeli passport. They couldn't believe it. Um, but then I go to the U.S., and in the U.S., you know how the Western uh, world is in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And I, because of Egyptian experience and because you know, I saw a revolution, I wanted to study international relations. I, I believed in the power of influence. And that's why I wanted to study that topic and there I really wanted to study and understand more of my Palestinian identity. And that strengthened a lot. But then I go home every summer. And I go work in a restaurant that is an Israeli restaurant in Tiberias. All my co-workers are Jewish. They're all friends of mine at the same time. And I made great relations with all of them. And then you realize again that, you know, it's not as black and white as it is. And I was in that place of being so confused for so long. Um, till. To the point, I think, where I reached my own clarity. Today, I believe I'm all of the above. I'm an Arab, I'm a Palestinian, and I'm an Israeli. My Arabness is, is is the language. is part of being part of that Arab world. My Palestinianness, for me, is the culture. Our internal culture, even in the north, where you know uh, people feel we're so separate and different, but our culture internally, the food, the norms. Everything for me, it was Palestinian. And the third one is the Israeli is also culture, mm-hmm. because that's for me what Israeli is. If we talk about the fact that we're uh, Arab, Palestinian, Israelis, uh, the Israeli element is, is the cultural aspect. It's not just that I grew up uh, on the kids channel, but it's also uh, living with. Other uh, Israelis, Jewish people, having friends, uh, sharing, uh, you know, going to their weddings, uh, going to their uh, holidays, uh, uh, experiencing their ho- the holidays together. And I think also the other part of that is that just that realization that my reality as an Israeli is not the reality of a West Bank, is not the reality of Gaza Strip, and definitely not the reality of a refugee. Our reality is because we were born in Israel. And this is part of who we are and that cultural exchange that we have is actually not just on an individual level we do it as a community and we as a community mix a lot of language if you have two Arabs from the north talking to each other half of their words are going to be mixed with Hebrew there's so much Hebrew or in our slang so we merge our cultures together we got some from the Israeli culture and the language so we that is part of who we are today and the same, by the way, it's vice versa. Uh, Jewish people use so much Arabic when they speak Hebrew <laughs> nowadays; it's it's insane. Have you I, heard them
0: swear? <laughs> well, you know,
1: they you do the most when they swear because curses in Arabic are more passionate. It's just what it is, and people love cursing in Arabic. I get that. But uh, the second aspect of that was is the fact that um, it's it's even more bizarre. Not when they curse; is when they don't know that the word they're using is actually Arabic. Yeah. Sometimes they're sure that this is some variation of a Hebrew word, and they don't understand that what they're using are actually Arabic words, mm-hmm. but this is how much our culture is mixed together in a way. But we as a community, feel there's that sense because, because we're Arab Israelis, there's that sense. You're like, you're either this or that. And if you connect to the Israeli side, you feel like you're betraying your Palestinian side. And I think this is why we as a community are stuck in that limbo. In these identities between, you know, you have your limbo as a Palestinian, Jerusalem, uh, West Bank. And for us, it's what's Israel and what's Palestinian and how do these things come together? But my feeling was when I put all of them as part of my identity... And I didn't put one over the other. It's not like this is more than this and, and trying to do that uh, game of, uh, you know, uh, one is, is, is more important to me than the other. I felt more personally secure. Mm-hmm. I felt more con- secure about my Palestinian identity and I felt more concerned about Israeli identity. Mm-hmm. Today, even when I come to you and I, w- I would go to East Jerusalem and I don't know, one of the soldiers would stop me. Today, I would talk to him like a, like, like a citizen, not like an Arab. Not like a Palestinian. Not like someone who is, uh, you know, worried what this soldier wants from me. I'll just look him in the eye be like, what do you want? I'm a citizen. I have rights. Mm -hmm. And I needed that feeling. uh, I needed a complete image of my identity in order to feel in that comfortable place. And it's the same thing for my Palestinian side of my identity. Now I'm much more at peace. And you still have your journey. So good luck with that. It's not easy to find the answers that you seek. And... I'm sure I'll, you know, I'll encounter that question for myself also more in the future. Like it's not, it never ends, but I am in a place where I feel sort of uh, complete. So at the end, Amira, this is what led to me, you know, to this uh, wholesome picture, I would say, of my identity, you know, taking all the above together kind of gave me clarity. Do you feel similar what's your perception of all these three elements or identities merged together in a way?
0: All of these identities merged together. I'll answer it the same way that you presented it of feeling all of the above. I feel all of the above because I'm not. Interesting. Does that make sense? No, so elaborate, (laughs) please. So um, I feel all of the above because I am not means that it took me to realize that I'm not... I don't completely resonate with each identity as a whole, but with specific parts of each identity and therefore have taken parts of each and made one. Exactly. And when I say, um, like, I'm going to go back to the black and white thinking kind of stuff. When I say I'm Palestinian, Israeli, and Arab, why do those things, do? why those things don't clash?
1: Because you're not looking at it from political identity. I'm
0: not looking at it as a, poli- as a political identity. And at the same time, I I give it my own twist. I give it my, like, I'm the one that defines what Palestinian is. I'm the one that defines what it means to me to be an Israeli because... Um, I'm not. I'm not completely Israeli. There are things in the culture, there are things in the religion of being uh, of being Jewish that I don't resonate with at all. Um, biggest example is Independence Day. Like I'm sure we, you and I, we love our friends to death, our Jewish friends to death. Um, but on Independence Day, I'm either on a Nakba march or in my room, off of social media because I don't want to see that shit um especially because our suffering suffering isn't recognized and uh that's when i like when i felt like yes like at certain point i was i was um like you said there was a, like a high and a low for each one my israeli one was at a high and then independence day came and it went it rock like it rocketed down um so I am all but not completely each one as a full one uh so yes I am all on all of the above like I said still on my journey of discovering this all of the above and uh, maybe I'll keep maybe I'll leave a few but at the end of the day it's experience what makes your identity your identity and I have that Israeli experience I have that arab experience and i have that palestinian experience and no single person can tell me otherwise
1: absolutely it's our experience this, this is the way that we experience all of these things you know um for me the israeli part is the is the culture is is not to be israeli as in being jewish and uh, singing the national anthem or going to the army or any of these things mm-hmm. that are you know uh how maybe a Jewish person in Israel can see himself as, as as Israeli, and maybe for him, maybe I'm not because of, for him it will resonate on, on certain elements that are not for me. But uh, I'm looking at how what I see in it. it is is speaking Hebrew and having Jewish friends, and we live here at the end of the day together, and we mix our cultures. And um, you know, I would go to my friends for Passover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the cleaning part of Passover. I remember even when I was working at a restaurant and
0: wait the, the cleaning part.
1: My favorite. <laughs> I remember we like, uh, um, at a restaurant, we had a rabbi. It was a kosher restaurant that I worked in. And the rabbi would like come uh, the night before Passover. And he'd be like, okay, when Abraham is done for the tables, please let me know. Like that will be his last table because I need him with me because I want like we want to work together on on cleaning uh, for Passover because he know he knew I was passionate about it. In Can terms you
0: explain of... what does that mean? Okay, explaining. <laughs> I
1: mean, first of all, it's just in... briefly. Briefly, it's so on Passover. I mean, they clean uh, houses or when I was in a restaurant from anything that is with um, uh, what's it called? Uh, East. Yeast. Yeast. It's anything with yeast. So you had to clear yeast out of your uh, facility. So we did ah, that for okay. the that's restaurant. What you mean. Okay, that's okay, what I mean. And I would, uh, they would put even the, uh, the plates in boiling water. And I would ask questions about everything. It was, it was a cultural exchange for me. Learning how, what their cultural aspect of that religion, even though it's a religious holiday, there is a culture behind it.
0: Was it reciprocated?
1: That's a very interesting question. No, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was in the same way. And that's part of the problem, yeah, is because I have their experience, they don't have mine. And it's because I speak their language and they don't speak mine. Mm-hmm. that's that's literally part of the problem. I mean, it's it's two it's two things. I think one is the issue of language because it's important to for our listeners to know that uh, you mentioned um East Jerusalem and that it's not uh, um, it's not a prevalent thing to learn Hebrew in East Jerusalem. In Arab schools in Israel, Hebrew is mandatory, and we have separate education systems inside Israel for Arab schools and Jewish schools. Mm -hmm. And even in the Jewish, there's their own separation, which we're not going to delve into. But in Arab schools, Hebrew is mandatory. In Jewish schools, Arabic is not mandatory. Arabic is a few years, and then you can take it for the Begrut, which is, I don't know, the equivalent of the SATs, maybe. So... Not everyone speaks the language. And when you sp- you learn it, you don't even learn it really for the cultural aspect. Mm-hmm. You're training future soldiers. You're yeah. f- training future intelligence um, uh, unit members. Yep. Not people who will come and interact and, 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 and mix that culture with someone else. Of and- course,
0: it's dangerous to generalize completely, but it's... It's barely seen. It's not significant whatsoever.
1: It's whatsoever. We we have friends who are yeah. Jewish and speak fluent Arabic. Some of our closest friends, but
0: it, most of which are have have uh, Middle Eastern and North African roots.
1: Roots, because they connect. Though I actually have a few friends who are from a European uh, roots, older, mm-hmm. and they felt that they, and they're actually religious. Mm-hmm. So they usually would vote for uh, more uh, religious uh, Jewish parties. Mm-hmm. And I, and actually my friend started to teach his two youngest uh, daughters Arabic. Oh, wow. They would watch like me because I told him a lot about me watching the kids channel in Hebrew. So he did the same for his <laughs> his daughters in Arabic, even though they come from a religious community, which is you don't expect in a stereotypical framework that that would happen. But for him, it was, I want to teach my daughters. And... This country is not making sure that my daughters know the language. I'll do it myself. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, you vote for these people. They have the power to do the language, to, 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 to make Arabic mandatory. And he said, I want it. They don't. That's part of the problem. And the second thing is for me is recognition. There's a problem of recognition. You cannot expect a population... Um, that's living in all these complexity of Arab 48 with all the complexity of Israel as a Jewish state. We're not Jewish. Um, you know, it's Jewish democracy. We're not Jewish. We're struggling to find how we can strengthen the democratic values to, to our own, to, to improve our own lives within this reality. And But there is an expectancy to accept the states. There's an expectancy that we're Arab Israelis. There's, On purpose, the word Palestinian doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It eliminates part of our identity. So how can the state expect us as a community to accept the state? Yeah. With all its complex identity that has a Jewish element that we don't resonate with. We're not Jewish. And it doesn't accept us.
0: It doesn't recognize us. It
1: needs to recognize us as as a people. Mm -hmm. And believe me, the day that will happen, more Arabs in Israel, more Palestinians in Israel will feel closer to the state in that sense because their identity was recognized. That's one of the first things that needs to be done in order to make a change in this reality. And
0: it will bring more peace between the people.
1: 100%, because it's a top to bottom that affects bottom up. Yeah. And that's the beauty of language. And it, it's something that we need to start doing you know, as soon as we can. And hopefully that will happen soon. So hopefully these things will change.
0: So I think we're we're nearing up to uh, to reality. We're nearing up to our current state, which is uh, both of us right now working in you with the background that you have and the experience in reality that you have, and me same but on the pair in some aspects the parallel side. But we both ended up working in the. Uh, promoting shared society let's say let's not use the buzzwords that are used by everyone I think something that we've talked about and a term that we agree on is shared society absolutely um how why did you choose that amongst all the options that you could have had that you could have chosen uh why did you choose to uh to enter the uh th- this field
1: Uh, I mean, first was uh, the Egyptian uh, experience, like I said. Um, You know, when you see a million people in uh, one square calling for change and seeing the influence of that, uh, it definitely gave me like a motive Mm -hmm. and it gave me something to do. Uh, I entered college maybe thinking of going to psychology or something along those lines. But then I saw that. I left Egypt, I couldn't finish except for one year, but then I'm like, okay, I need to do something that it's meaningful for me. And I wanted to enter the political world. I felt that I have an ability to to, to influence and, and to make a difference. And that's why I studied also continued. I, I, actually, when I continued, I, I wasn't even sure in what way I will contribute to my society because I did my, um, my master's in, uh, in Haifa University in Israel in national security studies. My thought was maybe to become a political analyst mm-hmm. and to bring an analysis to the Israeli media that will bring an, an Arab and Palestinian eye yeah. that doesn't exist there that they have so-called experts on the Arab world, but they're not Arab. They cannot see it from our eyes and they cannot bring the same message. And I wanted to be the person that does that. But the world somehow got me to the place where I am today. And now I'm uh, working in the peace field um, because of my experience, because of the shared life that I had with Jewish Mm -hmm. people throughout my life that for me was very uh, um, a given. Mm-hmm. That we can live together, because I, I was able to do it, so why not our, why can't we? You know obviously it's b- way more complicated than that, but I do believe in the, the immediate message of we can live together. I've seen it, I've done it. Others can do it too. Mm-hmm. I'm no extraordinary in that sense, and I've seen so many others who do the same. And I do believe we can expand that. Why did you enter the peace field?
0: It's more of not me um, choosing the the peace field. I like to say that the peace field chose me. Um, I was a com- on a completely different path as the eldest daughter in a traditional Muslim Palestinian household. I was directed towards healthcare. Uh,
1: I can guess medical uh, yep. field.
0: I was directed You're towards. Either a
1: doctor or a lawyer.
0: Uh-huh. Or an engineer.
1: Or an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Things with titles, that's what Arabs like.
0: Exactly, this PC political stuff is like, oh, you're gonna be a teacher when you grow up. Like there's no future for that. Um, So uh, that wasn't an option for me. So in my first first few years in university, I like gave in. (laughs) I gave in to what I thought I wanted, which was medical imaging. So I was full into healthcare, I was doing great, but man, was I miserable. Um, I wasn't happy at all. I wasn't. I didn't feel like it fed my desire. Like I was into it because I wanted to help people at the end of the day, but I didn't feel like it's the way that my soul really wanted to help people. I didn't feel connected to it whatsoever. Um, like academically, I would do. Shocking.
1: <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, at the end of the day, people can look at you if they see our uh, video on YouTube. You're a star. Like you're not. Uh you're not there meant to be in a room in the hospital and looking at the uh, the scanning of the, you know x-rays very important job but i definitely see you, i see you as a political leader
0: hey, mama baba <laughs> you here? <laughs> um so that that's what i was approached with when i was in i was in like an alumni club of um, um, of access, do you know, the Emmett East Access Scholarship. Yes. Um, so I, I was attending their um, their like monthly monthly or bimonthly uh, reunions and or activities. And I met, I met a lot of people there and they introduced, one of them introduced me to uh, a program, a journalism program. And mind you, I was, I was not there yet. Like I didn't uh, think, I wasn't thinking about peace. I wasn't thinking about shared society. I wasn't thinking about the Israeli side, the other side whatsoever, other than the uh, checkpoint that I was going through daily and the police that were always in our, around our house in Sheikh Jarrah, that that's. That's how I saw it. And then he was like, "Take like you should take this course uh, of journalism. And I was like, I've never read or written an article in my entire life. What are you talking about? How am I gonna go into journalism? And then he was like, you never know, just try it out. Maybe you'll, you'll work for them one day. I took the course. It fed my love for English to the roof. But also it showed me, it gave me a platform It showed me that I felt extremely unseen and unheard in Palestinian society because of my views, because I'm a woman, I just felt unheard and unseen. That platform that was ambiguous to me, like I didn't understand that it was the peace um, or the word that I really don't like, normalization, um, or I don't know. I don't like how it's used. Normalization. Uh, um, I didn't know anything about that world, and then I was introduced to uh, people that would ask me my opinion. People that would um, that would value what I'm saying, and that's when I realized that my society has to change as well. That I wasn't accepted in my society as a whole, and I was seen as a minority within the minority, and that's when I was. Like I entered it. I was offered a job the same way as my as I quote my friend. I was offered a job a year later at the same institution that I took the course in. And that's how I entered the peacebuilding field. And I remember my first meeting, my first meeting, this peacebuilding organization talking about Palestine and Palestinians with me. The only Palestinian in the room. And I was like, that is so wrong
1: it already shows you the problem of the peace building community that exists here which is honestly part of the reason why we're doing this on our own and not with anyone else and not with org- we know so many peace organizations yeah. and uh, we work for ones and but we did want to bring uh, our own voice yeah. because we see the how you know we are the minority within the peace building too you're 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 working with the Israeli counterpart who is kind of the one in charge. Yeah. In a way. And that's I think that's what ticked us off both mm-hmm. me and you too. Okay, we're doing our own thing. we will put our own voices out there. No filters. Not what people uh, no one can tell us what to do. No specific agenda, just what we think is right.
0: Yeah. So I went into the Palestine, the I went into the peace building uh field with my woman card up front. It's like yeah. You're listening to me. I have a voice. I think things need to change. And you are being oppressed and oppressing others as well. So I had a message. I felt like I had a message to Palestinians and I had a message towards Israelis. And I was extremely angry. I was angry. I was like, how could both of you mess up so badly and not see it? So I was like, I'm going to start with myself. I'm going to take accountability, I'm going to do my own research and educate myself on both. And I'm going to be wrong and then be corrected. And I'm going to be wrong again and I'm going to be corrected. Um, And then after a while, um, I felt like being in the peace building community, I was still simultaneously working in healthcare. I was decided to drop healthcare completely and go into peace building a hundred percent. And I'm still learning day by day was what has been done wrong and what terminology is you being used in the name of peace. Um, that got us to this point. And I think, and I'm doing it unapologetically. Um do it unapologetically as an israeli and unapologetically as a palestinian and it the the drive is me being oppressed by both sides
1: yeah i completely understand where that would come from uh, i think for me the one realization that i had you know the fact that i grew up in, in that way and being exposed to israeli culture very early and and understanding my own and all these things I saw that I had two eyes to the world. Mm-hmm. I had one eye that could look at the world from a Palestinian eye, and one that can look at the world from an Israeli eye. And then I have the capacity truly to grasp and understand both sides mm-hmm. because of the unique position of my community. And then for me, it was like, how are we not um, using this yeah. to be not the, not, not, not the bridge, as, as uh, have a friend told me, don't use the word bridge, because the bridge you cross and you leave behind. We shouldn't be the bridge, but we're the key to the conflict because yeah. we're the only ones that are both Palestinians and Israelis. We're the only ones who have the capacity. We're not there yet, but we have the capacity to understand both sides, to understand both narratives, to, to bring both together because you can see both.
0: I would add to that that we'd not, we don't just only have the capacity, but we're willing. We have the will to be not the bridge, but the link.
1: So I see, I use the word key.
0: I think the word key...
1: To unlock the conflict,
0: in the way I put it. I feel like it gives us more more in... Specific role? Yeah, because we're the link, but both societies need to change. That's the key. We're the link.
2: Mm,
0: They need to realize that the political solution is something, and the change within society is what's going to bring peace. To bring it, the exactly. political solution is like, we've, we've seen it before. The political solution is just an agreement on paper between between politicians. The actual change comes within the people when they have the willingness to see the other as not the other.
1: And that, for me, I use the word capacity because for me, the way I see it, as a community, not as Ibrahim and Amira, as an Arab 48 community, because we're the link, because we have both realities, and we're also citizens, which is which is not the case for, for the 67. We can influence the, mm-hmm. the, the government, which we haven't enough so far. That's why I'm saying we have the capacity, but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. We have the ability to see the world from both eyes, but are we really mm-hmm. as a community? I don't think we're there yet. I've got, i feel like i've got to that place where i can do that Mm -hmm. and i want to urge others to do the same i think this is what what my calling was that it's so easy to solve the like i can see both sides of the conflict like how how are you and the guys not seeing it and that kind of pushed me to be like okay if they're not seeing it i need to show it to people because it's not going to happen on its own and people don't change on their own that's why i also took it as my personal mission i would say To change views, to break stereotypes. Some people think it's, um, you know, people need to change on their own. I disagree with that. Uh, Someone who's racist is not going to wake up one day and say, well, you know what? I just had an epiphany. Epiphany. And today I'm going to stop hating Arabs and I'm going to love everyone equally. You know, it didn't happen in the U.S. uh, against, you know. No white uh, supremacist woke up one day in the middle of the night and was like, you know what? I just realized I don't uh, hate blacks for for black people for being black anymore. It doesn't work like that. Changes needed to happen and Mm -hmm. people needed to break those stereotypes. And for me, this is a a role that I think all of us have to take on on ourselves. It sounds tough because it is tough, but they're not going to wake up on their own. The majority cannot change because it's comfortable in where it is. If you're the majority, if you're Israeli and all your life is Israeli and Jewish in that sense, why why make the effort? You mm-hmm. feel like why make the effort out of nowhere, out of mm-hmm. thin air? We need to bring that effort. We need to change those views. And, and it's possible. The first day I uh, uh, of a new waiter in the restaurant I worked in, and, and I was helping all the new ones, uh, you know, uh, getting acquainted and all these things. She tells me, listen, just don't be offended. She gave me a heads up. Don't be offended, but I don't like Arabs. Thank you for the heads up. Um, and I had two ways to tackle it. Either I don't talk to her because she offended me and offended my identity. And the other one is I will change your mind. And I didn't do it by lecturing her. I didn't even do it by explaining what Arabic uh, Arabs are. I just acted normally as mm-hmm. if i have never heard that sentence. And I acted with her as I act with every single person I meet. Two years down the line, two years later, I'm invited to her wedding. So thing, you can influence people that we can change. We can break uh, stereotypes and people have the capacity to change. And we have the ability to change people.
0: I wanna ask you about, have you, did you, have you ever felt guilty? for what you're doing? Have you ever felt, because of your up, your highs and lows of your Palestinian identity and your ups of your Israeli identity, have you ever felt a sense of guilt that you were empowering one over the other, especially in their field of work?
1: I think once I reached that conclusion that I don't need to make these um, uh, comparisons between the different identities, when I stopped looking at what comes before what, and what's higher than what, I stopped feeling guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe when I was younger, I would feel guilty about, you know, being born here and not in the West Bank or Gaza or a refugee.
0: And um, it's something beyond your control.
1: But it's beyond my control. And at least I realize that I can use my position to help. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm in a different place, I'm in a place where I'm a, you know, a citizen in this country, so I have the capacity to, to make something about it, to, to, to make a change for, for the good for all my people inside Israel and in the West Bank and Gaza. Uh, that was a sense of duty that eliminated the guilt, mm-hmm. I would say. Do you
0: feel guilty? At some point I did, because it's, it's, easy, it's easier right now, because I, I'm not present in the West Bank as much so, or, or because I rec and also because I recognize my Israeliness and know how to deal in certain situations,, uh, like you said towards a police officer like, "Yo, I'm Israeli, and you treat me as such. Um, and you get to know your rights. But before that, before I recognized I recognized my uh, Israeliness, I saw it as pure privilege. I was like, I'm privileged." By chance, because I'm born with Israeli citizenship, but I'm Palestinian, and I wouldn't say I was Israeli. I would say I have Israeli citizenship, and that's just on paper. It means nothing. Um, and then I had a discussion with um, with my mom actually, and I was like, "Is what I'm doing wrong? Like, am I? Is what I'm doing wrong? Should I feel guilty?" And she was like, "What are you doing?" And I told I. Analyzed for her, I'm doing one, two, three in a technical way, and then she asked me again, "What are you doing? Like, how are you helping the people? How are you harming them?" And I was like, "I'm not harming them. I'm helping them. Uh, see, first of all, see the other side, and each and every opportunity that I'm provided with, I pass along. I pass along, and I lead by showing people that this is where we can get. Throughout my throughout my journey." And she was like, "There, there's your answer." Now, obviously, uh, our parents, because they they go through um, the political environment, which is like a dice here, each and every five minutes, showing a new showing a new number, a new result. Um, opinions change. Like if you ask my mom right now, she might have a completely different answer. Um, but I. I I did feel guilty, but then I kept on seeing on what I was actually doing. Mm-hmm. And um, now, and we talked about this before, um I'm not afraid to use my privilege. I'm not guilty of my privilege because I doesn't uh, I don't allow myself to turn a blind eye. And every time that I feel guilty and was like, okay, let's check ourselves. Let's see if we're doing something wrong. That guilt is extremely healthy. Um mm-hmm. I feel guilty and I, you you acknowledge 100% that you are more privileged than others, but you're using that privilege, which is what we have right now, a platform. If we were somewhere else in, in the region, we would not be able to speak. Not in
1: the that f- you know, the way that we're speaking to.
0: No, so we're using this privilege to voice, to direct towards another, um, to direct towards a solution, towards shining light on both sufferings and letting us reach towards something that is, towards human dignity for both.
1: And that's why for me, that privilege is a duty. (laughs) It turns into a duty.
0: It is. It's a sense of duty. It is a sense of duty. That
1: I have that privilege, so I need to do something about it in order to to bring back, to give back. Like, okay, I've been privileged in certain ways. I need to give back to my community. I need to give back to people who don't have the same privilege, who can't. Because guess what? In a different reality, I could have been born in the West Bank. Yeah. I could have been born in Gaza Strip. I could have been born with the one right now trying to get out of Gaza or, or, or God forbid, uh, under the... Rubble. Under the rubble. I know that. I'm aware of that. And because I don't have that reality, I need to help the ones who do, because I could have been born in that one. And I would have wanted others to help me. Mm-hmm. So I need to do the same. And that's, I think, eh, 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 in a nutshell, why we have that sense of duty to do this podcast and to bring this voice. And hopefully, you know, we... We'll bring in the next episodes also more points on the history of the conflict and also solutions, real practical solutions. There are things that already today can be done. So that will come up and we will bring some of those things because it needs to be out there.
0: And there you have it, everybody. That is how two completely different stories, two people from different realities ended up crossing paths because of their mutual vision to shared society, to peace and human dignity for all. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening for tuning in. It was, for me at least, I have to say, a fascinating discussion to understand the depths and more things that I didn't even know about Ibrahim. Um, We appreciate you guys so very much. Uh, Please please continue the advocacy that you are doing and we'll continue what we are doing.
1: Thank you everyone again for all your support. Remember, you can follow us on uh, any of your uh, favorite uh, podcast platforms. You can also follow us on Instagram and we'll have a LinkedIn and a Facebook as well this week so you can see us on all these uh, platforms. So stay tuned. We'll have a LinkedIn and a Facebook as well this week so you can see us on all these uh, platforms. So stay tuned.